Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Yurich. I am the founder of 1000 Hours Outside and so excited to have back on our podcast. Really, it's been a while. Thomas Kirsting, thanks for being here. Thank you, Ginny. One of my favorite people in the world. Well, you know, you really helped me get this thing off the ground. I mean, one of the episodes that we did together was one of my very first. And so I was looking back at it. We talked about your book, Disconnected, which I absolutely loved. Disconnected, how to protect your kids from the harmful effects of device dependency. So I appreciate you being on back when I had no idea what I was doing. And I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing, but glad to have you on for a second time. You had a book that launched today. Today. Today is book launch day. Congratulations. Yep. yep. The new book, Raising Healthy Teenagers. Yep. This Raising is- Healthy hey. Teenagers, Equipping Your Child to Navigate the Pitfalls and Dangers of Teen Life. I'm going to tell people a little bit about you. The author of Disconnected, a nationally renowned psychotherapist, speaker, television personality, which that's a really interesting part about you too, that you've been on these different TV shows. And so people might know you from Surviving Marriage and Monster-in-Laws on A&E. And then you're on the news and talk shows and all sorts of things all the time. You've been on National Geographic, Food Network, Oprah's Wellness Network. So people are probably very familiar with you. They've seen you different places. But here you are, you're writing these books that are very impactful for parents as we're trying to navigate this technological world. And so I read Raising Healthy Teenagers, Equipping Your Child to Navigate the Pitfalls and Dangers of Teen Life. And I loved it. And I have to tell you this story. I have a lot of books. We've got stacks of books everywhere. People send in books to be on the podcast and yours was sitting around. And my teenage daughter was really interested in it. No one's ever been interested in my book. They're around. No one picks them up. Nobody cares. But she was really drawn to yours. And she kept saying, oh, I want to read that one. I want to read that one. I was like, sure, pick it up, read it. And so it was a couple nights, you know, she'd come in my room, she'd pick up the book, she'd read a little bit more. She really was interested in it. And then she says, mom, she says, you're in this one. (laughs) You're in this one because she read it first. And I was like, no, there's no way. And she, no, 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 no. Like your name is in this book. And it talks about 1000 hours outside. So that was such a cool experience and a cool moment of connection for the both of us. And really neat. It was just a bizarre thing that she was interested in it and she read it first. So it's really a cool book that it is enticing the teenagers to read too. So well done. Way to go. Yep. Happy book yep. launch. I know your book is hitting all the charts. I saw it just the other day. It's in the top 50 of all bestsellers. And so I know that people will get a lot out of it. Let's start with Outside, since this Let's is the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. And you talked in this book so much about outside and about play. And I was thrilled to read how much you talked about those things. So we're trying to raise healthy teenagers and we have lost this outside component. What is that doing to our society and to our kids? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the book, the title is Raising Healthy Teenagers, but it's really appropriate for parents of kids of any ages, particularly like preteens, you know, what we call tweens and teens and so forth. You know, and, you know, when I was doing all the research and writing, I mean, you know, the first book I wrote, Disconnected, was all about screen time and a mental health implication. So anyway, so, the, you know, the, a main component of this book, I mean, kind of piggybacking on the other book with screen time and so forth. So what I really wanted to hit on is just all the different things that kids today are faced with. So the book goes through really everything, social malnutrition, substance abuse, and this mindset that marijuana is harmless. And it goes right into things going on in schools and even like college admissions and the ensuing debt and so forth. But really, you know, most importantly, it's very beginning, you know, the first couple of chapters where I talk about 1,000 hours outside, you know, you guys and so forth. 
a big common denominator is that most kids, middle school, even elementary school kids now, are, are literally spending almost all of their time inside, right, in front of a screen. And it goes against our DNA as human beings. You know, and you pointed out in everything that you do, you know, outdoor play is probably, in my opinion, is probably the most important thing, not just for kids' physical well-being, but for their mental well-being. And play is down 70% in recent years. And every time a kid goes outside and plays, I talk about this in the book, it releases something like a thousand genes in the cortex part of the brain, which is what shapes us socially. So with that being said, if we want our kids to be socially and emotionally strong, they must be interacting with other kids, primarily outside. <laughs> Because those are skills that are developed. They're not things that you just get and that you're born with. And if you're just in front of a screen all day long and kids are not out there doing that, they're not going to develop those very important critical skills that they'll need when they enter adulthood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love this part of the book that, you know, you said disconnected is a lot about screen use. This book is about what do we have to insert? What do we have to do in order to raise healthy teenagers? And I think that's really going to give parents a lot of direction. You're talking about even just simple things that our kids should be out and socially interacting with strangers, obviously not in a dangerous way. But I love that you talk about that, that we have to have our kids out in the community and they have to be interacting with people. And from your book, I got that these processes are actually fairly fragile. You talk about these different stories. You would think, oh, well, it's really no big deal that my kids are indoors. It's really no big deal that they're not interacting as much as they used to be. But you talk about how some kids can really get stuck and that these processes really can derail a child so that they are really having a hard time dealing with life. So can you talk about sort of some of the stories that you've seen about what happens when a child is mostly indoors, mostly in their bedroom, mostly on a screen? What happens? Yeah. So, you know, the problem again, so like kids are spending, it's depending on the research, somewhere between eight and 10 hours a day in front of a screen. Right. And, and you know, the argument is, well, what's the big deal? You know what I mean? Um, but the right. problem is with middle schoolers and high schoolers, they, they're literally spending almost all of their time by themselves in their bedrooms. Right. And so for parents that are listening right now, you know, we might think that's not a big deal. They're safe at home. But what's really occurring in society is that the actual definition of the word family isn't really definitive of the word family. It's more like, you know, it should be all of us together in a family room, having dinner, communicating and so forth. It's more like, you know, four individuals that are a family, but they live individual lives under the same roof. So for parents, when I'm out lecturing, Ginny, I travel all over the country, you know, mm -hmm. giving lectures to parents about mental health and screen time. You know, the one thing that I really implore them to do is to practice what they preach. And, and that is when you're home with your kids, put your own devices down, sit down and have, you know, communication and so forth. Like, for example, my today, my wife and my daughter are off, right? So my wife works in a school. My daughter is 16 years old. So I'm at my office right now, my private practice. And I have, an, after this, I have, you know, I have appointments all day, but I have about a two hour gap mm -hmm. and my wife and daughter are going out to lunch today. So I was going to text somebody that I could put in one of the time slots. And then I said to myself, you know what? I'm not going to do that. Because this is an opportunity for me, I can go, you know, go out and have a nice lunch with my wife and daughter, which we don't normally do because we're, you know, never home during the day. My daughter's at right. school, I'm working, my wife's working. So, you know, just something like that. I was thinking about it when I was riding over to my office and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to contact that other person and try to put them in. I'll find Absolutely. another spot. I'm going to go, you know, into that. What I'm going to remember is the, and, 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 you know, when I'm dying one day is what I did with my kids and what I didn't do with my kids. Right. Yeah. And so it's about looking for small moments of connection like that, that really make a big difference. One of the things that I've always really been intrigued by what you do is that you have firsthand seen the changes because you work with children and you work with high schoolers and you've been working with them for decades, 25 years. And so I've talked so much about our conversation that we had and probably a year and a half ago, where you said you notice 
there was a change. And you talk about the year 2012 as being a very significant one. Can you talk about sort of what changed then and what you saw firsthand changing in the teenagers sort of across the country? Yeah. So interestingly, so I was working at a public high school. I was a counselor for 25 years and I was working my private, I was doing both that and the private mm-hmm. practice, leave the school from here. And then I retired a few years ago from the high school. So now I'm doing a private practice full time, which is great. But back in 2012, I started, you know, I started noticing like just an unbelievable amount of kids developing anxiety issues and so forth. Right. Mm-hmm. And I had already been lecturing about screen time and so forth, something in the other book that I call acquired anxiety disorder. And when you look at the statistics from 2012 to present, the mental health epidemic began in 2012 for kids. Wow. Uh, when you look at stats and anxiety, depression, the suicide rate, and that in 2012 is when smartphones became mainstream, right? And now you look at today, now COVID, people think, oh, COVID caused the mental health. It didn't cause the mental health epidemic. It was already there. It just accelerated it. And with COVID, you know, because kids were on, in, on screen so much more during COVID, it really escalated the problem. I have a chapter in this book called Fear-Filled Nation, mm-hmm. all right? And when you look at a lot of kids, like you use the term fragile earlier, a lot of kids are really kind of walking on eggshells in society, afraid to talk to people, you know, sometimes even afraid to just leave their homes. Mm-hmm. And, and I give an example of a, a good example in the start of that chapter of the movie Jaws, mm-hmm. right? So I remember 1970, I was a little kid, 1975. I don't think I remember Jaws. But um, in that year, 1975, when Jaws came out, people literally wouldn't go into water. And still don't today from a two-hour movie. Now, when you look fast forward to today, think about, that's just some fake robotic shark that got mm-hmm. into people's subconscious minds. And even 50 years later, I'm, I'm personally, I'm a little hesitant every time I go in the ocean because Jaws is in the back of your mind, right? But now you look at what where kids are spending their time. They're in, on social media and every single thing in society is now caught on camera. And it funnels to social media, all these mm-hmm. dangerous criminal acts, assaults. And it, and it penetrates that malleable brain of these kids and is instilling a fear inside of them, right? It's mm-hmm. instilling a fear that's making them now fear the outside world. Wow. I thought that that part of your book was so impactful. And in fact, it went in a, in a direction that I wasn't expecting. And I thought that you made that point so well that if Jaws is still affecting people decades later and it was a two-hour movie, you basically say we're living in Jaws on steroids was the verbiage that you use. So that this is a chronic thing that's going on for our kids with the tech. And even the chronic dopamine release was something that you had talked about in there about how we're hooked on that. And so it was interesting to look at kids as experiencing withdrawal symptoms. Yeah, yeah. So so all of this fear stuff, right? So again, everybody's got a camera in their pocket. Every street street corner, there's, there's a camera. And all of this stuff, it's one video after the next of bad, scary, frightening stuff, right? And what happens mm-hmm. to the brain, particularly for young people, is you, you start to become desensitized to that. Like, all right, well, I guess this is kind of normal, right? Um, and what I've seen as a result of that, um, I believe it's a part, or partly a result of that. In the last couple of years, I've seen an unbelievable amount of oppositional defiant behavior something known as oppositional defiant disorder, where kids right. are, you know, as you know, 11 and 12 are flipping out on their parents, cursing, throwing stuff, right? And I think part of it is because they're exposed to all that violence. And to your point, the dopamine part, all right, here's another thing that I think your listeners will like, or not like, but want to know. Um, all of these products, the video games, the social media apps, they are intentionally designed to target the pleasure-seeking part of the brain that produces dopamine. Now, dopamine is the feel-good chemical that, that may, you know, makes you feel good. And dopamine is tied to every addiction there is, whether it's drugs, gambling, you name it. Now, because our kids, this stuff is targeted to that part of the brain and it's constant all day long, it creates an imbalance 
where they're getting way too much dopamine. And that's not how the brain is supposed to operate. There's something called homeostasis where you have a balance. And when, you, when, when you're overloaded with dopamine and then the stimuli is removed, in this case, mom or dad takes the phone or the video game system away, the result is an unbelievable crash and withdrawal that manifests itself behaviorally in kids. Wow. Hence, a lot of this oppositional defiant behavior. Wow. Yeah. So, so much has changed in basically the last 10 years. And you even say in the book, I thought it was a huge statement. You say basically the changes in the last 10 years are more than the changes in the last something like 10,000 years. I mean, that this has changed so profoundly and you have seen it. And I think when you have kids, you don't see it. You don't really know. Like you think, oh, my childhood was different. Things used to be different, but you don't really see that change. And it was right in front of your face that you talk about. I mean, this is even a new thing since disconnected, the oppositional defiance disorder, the disrespect, things have even changed you know, in the last probably five or six years, and things are continuing to rapidly change. And what I love about the book is that you tell us what to do. I mean, you obviously talk about there are these things that are harmful, but you say, no, this is how you should use your time. This is what you should do. We have to be social. And one of the things that you talk about is exercise. And you have this huge statement in here, Tom, I've never heard anybody say this. You say regular exercise is something you prescribe to all your patients. But then you say, I attribute everything I've ever accomplished to exercise, everything I've ever accomplished. Tell us about that. Yeah. So personally, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I am a gym rat. I go to the gym literally every day. I'm like addicted to it, uh, but not, not. Obs- and, you know, when I started working out many years ago, 20 something years ago, it was really just to shed a few pounds. You know what I mean? I was getting a little gut. And then it, I started to realize I started, I was doing a lot of hypnotherapy also at my private practice. So I, I created, I actually created something. I don't talk about it in the book. It's, I call it hypnoaerobics. So ah. when I'm, after I lift weights, I go to coffee, right? So I'll go on the elliptical machine or, or the treadmill. So when you go to a gym, as an example, Ginny, right? When you look around, every single person has a pair of earbuds on, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I look at that and of course I'm not judging anybody. So what are we doing? We're, we're essentially distracting ourselves from the moment at hand. So what I do is when I'm on like the elliptical machine, as an example, I put those things that you get on the airplane, those foam noise cancelers, mm-hmm. I put those in my ears and I literally close my eyes. And during that half hour, I'm in go mode mentally. I am visualizing, I am manifesting. And every single idea, book I've ever read, TV appearance I've ever done, I've literally extracted from the universe by putting my mind on that frequency. So everything I've accomplished is, is from being at the gym. And I, I mean that sincerely. And when you look at people... Uh, you know, exercising, it's like, oh, this is, you know, it, we're essentially, we've become so addicted, adults as well, to distracting ourselves from mm-hmm. ourself, and we don't even know we're doing it. Right. And that's one of the things you talk about, too, which is that we have to know ourselves, and that this is something that's not happening anymore. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids every day. AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. 
Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit betterhelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P.com slash 1000 hours. Yeah. Like when I'm doing, when I do, when I'm doing lectures, I'll speak to parents and kids. Right. And when I got a group of kids in front of me to school, for example, I get, I go to a section that I call social media self-esteem and I'll ask, I'll ask a kid in the front row. I'll say, all right, who are you? And, and I know what the kid's going to say. The kid's going to tell me his, his or her name. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'll say, Oh, hi, John. Hi. And who are you? Hi, Jane. And then who are you? And a kid will tell me his name. And then I'll say, ask me who I am. And a kid, one of the kids will say, who are you? And I go on to say, well, I'm not Tom Kirsting. That's just a name my parents gave me. Who I am is much deeper and much more powerful than that. And who I am is as follows. I am a loving, caring, spiritual, empathetic, motivated, powerful, disciplined lover of life. And I give that example and I tell all the kids, I say, and the reason why I'm sharing that is because every one of you in this room is that as well, but you can't know that if you're never in the silence, if you're never in the moment and you're always distracted. All right, so kids are living so outside in, and I'm trying to get them to start living from the inside out. And I talk about that in this in raising healthy teenagers, the importance of silent time. That inside of us, our mind, our emotions, our spirit, you know, I call that the rest of the iceberg. You know, the tip of the iceberg is all the other superficial stuff in the outside world. And that's where our kids are getting tangled up in and it's messing with their self-esteem and their confidence. And and I implore every kid, every parent to get your kids to sit for 15 minutes every single day, undistracted, in the silence. It will be terrifying and horrible the first time you ever do it if you've never done it before. But with practice, you begin to own that space and you begin to know oneself and you begin to trust oneself and you begin to develop a relentless confidence that allows you to be a great person and to accomplish whatever you set out to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So sort of the theme here is that we are missing so many of these components. And that's kind of the main thing is that the screens have replaced these things that we need to be a healthier person mentally, physically, emotionally, and all of those different ways. And so you even touch on play, which is an interesting topic in a book about teenagers to touch on play, but it really is so important. So you talk about basically being play saturated And I love what you say, you kind of mentioned this earlier, that social isolation and empty playgrounds started long before the pandemic. The pandemic just made it worse. So can we just talk about play and sort of this lack of play, but then you combine the two. You say it's lack of play and or 
It's helicopter parenting. So what is this doing to our kids when we're sort of taking away their freedom? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, what really what really bothered me a lot during the pandemic was when I'd be driving through my town and there was yellow police tape around the playgrounds, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. of the pandemic or whatever, you know? And I'm just saying to myself, like, uh, seriously, we're like, we're now removing, like you, the, the irony is you have the police tape around the playground, but now the prison is the kid's bedroom where they're at home because they're in social isolation. Right. So they're they're like prisoners now. Right. And what has occurred and then, you know, parents that are always, you know, if, if a kid is out playing at a young age and so forth, and the parents are always jumping in and, you know, you know, that helicopter component kind of they develop this need to please their parent rather than organically mm-hmm. you know, learn how to scrape their knee, have something taken away from them at the playground and adapt to that and be able right. to overcome those things, which is how we develop as human, you know, social, emotional being. Right. So I do go into that quite a bit. You know, and another thing too, you know, I think I, from that point on, I talk about, you know, the, the anxiety issue has been here for a while, but it has gotten substantially worse, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it is because of COVID, because when you look at it like this, Jenny, right, I talk about like that bedroom being the prison. So you, mm-hmm. you look at middle schoolers and high schoolers during the pandemic, their bedroom now became their classroom as well, right? And human beings, once we're, we do something enough, we develop comfort zones, right? We do something, you know, wow. for several weeks or more, and now that becomes our new sort of safe zone, and we don't even know it. And what happened is after kids, after lockdowns, you know, when kids were allowed to start going back to school, schools were seeing an incredible amount of school avoidance because it was triggering anxiety. Because now leaving that comfort zone of the bedroom and going out into what was previously your comfort zone, waking up and going to school and sports, was now triggering you know, the sympathetic nervous system uh, wow. in the body to send out, you know, stress signals that this is dangerous. Wow. That's a really big deal. And then people were doing that online schooling for such a long time. It wasn't just the two weeks that people originally thought it would be. And so this is just the interesting part of your book is, is that it basically you're laying out this argument that it's just this, it's just getting worse and worse. It's getting worse and worse. It's not getting better. And you talked about how when you were a child, you didn't know anyone that had anxiety, depression, other mental conditions, that we have more of this than any other generation in history. Do you think that there's hope to turn it around? I do. You know, um, you know, interestingly, you know, when I think back to when I was a kid, you know, we're just out and about outside running around constantly. Yeah, you got nervous about things. And, you know, and, you know, I try to really unpack all these obstacles. You know, so parents really become aware of what's happening, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mentally and so forth. But also, like you said, like really provide good strat- simple strategies and tips. But to answer your question, can we turn this around? I just did a, a national television segment Saturday night on on Fox for on Brian Kilmeade, One Nation. And he and I did his radio show before that. And he, he actually brought up a really good point. Hmm. He brought up, you know, drinking and driving. How with that message has has become cemented in the minds of you know, of teenage drivers. They are not going out drinking and driving, and if it happens, it's very rare. Whereas in previous generations, kids would do it. But the message was really driven home. And the question he asked me is like, do you think with this toxic problem of isolation and screen time, do you think we could turn that around? And I and he got me. He caught me for a minute there, and I was like, you know what? Of course, I think we could turn it around. It might not seem like we can. But what I am, what I'm, what I'm noticing now, Jenny, and this is a good, this is good news. I get, you know, some people in their twenties and mid twenties that come to my office for, you know, minor things and so forth. And a lot of them now, you know, the digital natives that grew up in the social media world, they are now deleting TikTok and Snapchat and that stuff because they see it's, it's an, it, it's a time sucker, and they're yeah. in a position where they want to build their careers, and they're literally deleting, you know, where they've ha- have yeah. thousands of thousands of followers. Because it's just t- t- taking all wow. their time away. 
Yeah, so wow. th- that's a good sign. Yeah, it is. I we were actually just we went to visit um, a university, Grand Canyon University, which is in Phoenix, Arizona, and they brought us in just to kind of see what they have going on there. And they have a really cool outdoor recreation program where they're sponsoring like a hundred trips every single year that the students can go on for the weekend, sort of at cost and get away from the sort of stressors of life, get outside, do really cool things. But in the entire campus, which is sort of all you park on the outsides of it, and then you can walk around. It's everyone's walking around and they're on skateboards. And things. No one was on their phone. And I actually felt like I had stepped back in time. All of these college students, they're just talking to each other. They're on their one wheels. They're going from place to place. And it was really encouraging and inspiring to see that the culture there was not one where everyone had their face stuck in a phone. It was very different. And it made me think about, you know, when you talk in your book, you say, you know, I had a phenomenal childhood. That's how you worded it. I had a phenomenal childhood. And it made me think about, I wonder if any of our kids will say that. What do you I, think? Yeah, I know. You know, and like me growing up, I, I just can't, you know, my parents didn't have any money. They got married. They had four kids by the time they were 25. We didn't know. You know, we just, my parents were very Catholic and we went to church. I didn't want to go to church, but we, you know, we went and we just had a really, you know, great upbringing. My parents were always there for us. We had dinner every night of the week. And, you know, to your, to answer your question, it's like, I think it really depends on each house. You know, like one of the issues is that we, it's not that our, we, our children have changed. It's just that the world around them has, and we don't have to enter. Like people think, all right, if I don't get my kid a phone, he's going to be the only one without one. And right now it's like 10 or 11 years old. Kids are getting their first phone. So I really try to empower parents. You know, you you don't have to conform to everything going on in society. You know, pause, your kid's going to be fine. If you, you, the longer you delay, you know, getting your kid a phone, even though your kid's going to give you a hard time for a couple of years you're going to be better off, trust me. And I'm, I'm glad yeah. that there's legislation now being, you know, some bills right now to try to, you know, limit the age of uh, social media to 16 years old. That's actually Senate hearings going on right now. Wow. Well, it's really thought provoking to hear someone say, I grew up, we were poor, we had dinner every night. You talk in the book about how you had to work for what you wanted. There were no free handouts, basically. There was delayed gratification. You played, you went to church. You didn't really even want to go to church, but you went to church. And these were the components of a phenomenal childhood. And I think we've forgotten that the components of a phenomenal childhood can be very simple. Just moments of connection, playing outside, year-round. You talk about how you played outside in the winter with your friends. And having freedom and not getting everything you want, that the components, I guess it's counterintuitive. Yeah, well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot about that part of the book. Uh, you know, so yes. So our kids right now, they have been born into an instant gratification world. You hit a button, boom, DoorDash delivers your food. Hit another button, bang, Amazon delivers your product the next day, right? And you answer to the quest to a question, boom, you Google it, right? And what happens is when when you're constantly, instantly gratified, and that's how you're living all day, every day, what often happens is that it creates, it, it makes it seem like things that were used to be pretty nominal are now substantial. Like I can't, uh, I don't know if I could do that. So for an example is that like kids getting their driver's licenses now, I was just talking about this the other day also, there's some some news out there about like 20% reduction in kids getting their driver's licenses, right? And I was thinking about that, like thinking, why is that? And then it kind of hit me. Well, the reason is, so some of the, uh, you know, the teenagers in the article said it's just too, you know, it's it's too anxiety provoking to go in a car with people dying in car crashes, right? Again, that goes back to my original fear-filled nation point. Another girl in the article said, just seems like too much work, you know, to have to learn how to drive and take the driver's test and so forth, right? And I think another part of it is, yeah, and that, that goes to the instant gratification. It requires some effort to go get your license, right? You can't just hit a button and have your driver's license. 
But another part of it, there's a large cluster of kids. And I think these are the ones that would fall under the category, the 20% category, large portion of teenagers that their entire social life is in their basement or bedroom playing Xbox with the headset. And, and that's what they refer to as their friends, right? So they don't need, they don't go anywhere. A lot of these kids, so they don't need a car to go anywhere because everything's, you know what I mean? It's like, right. I remember, I swear to God, to, don't tell my wife this. Well, I'll say the, the, the most excited, well, actually getting married and having kids, I'm supposed to say that there's truth to that. But you take away family stuff, the number one most exciting day of my life, this is how boring my life is, Jenny, was the day I got my license. Yeah, but wow, has that changed? Got my mom's car. Yeah. Oh my God, I couldn't. I got in that car. Well, there's a freedom to it. I mean, I do remember. I remember the first time I drove alone. You know, I could go anywhere I want. There is a freedom to it and an excitement to it. And yeah, that has definitely changed. I see it because our kids are hitting that age where they're going to start to drive soon. And it used to be sort of a rite of passage. It was something that everybody did. Everybody's looking forward to. And now it's just sort of a ho-hum. Some people do it and some people don't. And it's just changed. Yeah, big time. Yeah. So there's a lot that's changed, but I think that the solutions that you give are not wildly out of reach. You know, we should exercise, we should go outside, we should talk more, we should put our screens away. And I like that you're very direct about it. I think that I've seen that in the literature. I think the literature is changing. And as I'm starting to read, I think that the solutions are becoming more direct. And people are saying, instead of skirting around it, I think for a long time, we were skirting around it, trying not to make people feel bad, you know, trying to say, oh, maybe the screens are not as bad. And maybe it's really not a big deal. But now I think there's a lot more directness to the communication. Like, look, no, you're seeing firsthand that suicides are going up and mental health is just rapidly declining. And there is a reason we have to reinsert these parts of life that make us human and make us thrive. And so one of the things you talk in the book that I actually wasn't expecting to see in there was about substance abuse. And so we've never talked about that on this show, but... I would love to talk about that. And I wonder if part of it has to do with, and maybe it doesn't, but does part of it have to do with sort of a dissatisfaction in the way that we're living? And so people are turning to these things or maybe not. Yeah. So, you know, I I had to go into that because it's something, you know, this, that was something very important I needed to discuss in the book. Uh, And this is really purely from, from anecdotal experience over here at my private practice where you know, I t- deal with te- mainly teenagers every day, right? And I've had so many kids come in here, you know, for other reasons. They have anxiety issues, they're depressed. And oftentimes the common denominator is that they smoke marijuana, okay? And what has occurred in our society is ever since legalization kicked in, right? Ever since, you know, in, from state to state, lots has changed. And the, the thing that really concerns me the most is this, right? So when I was working at the high school, so let's say 10 years ago, if I grabbed 10 kids out of the hallway and said, hey, come with me. And I asked them, what are your thoughts on marijuana? Nine out of 10 would say no good for you. If I were to grab 10 kids today and say, what are your thoughts on marijuana? Nine out of 10 would say, oh, it's harmless. Right. Wow. So what, how did, where did that mindset come from? So the mindset came from celebrities, you know, start, you know, when, when it started to come out and, you know, marijuana started, started to become cool and social. It's not going to kill you. And then the politicians saw blood in the water. Wow. We have a, you know, a collective consciousness that, you know, weed is not that big of a deal. Let's see if we can legalize it so we can bank, you know, on tax money here, right? Mm-hmm. So then it starts to become legal. And, you know, and if you're a teenager and you hear that marijuana is harmless and that it's uh, legal, it's like, all right. So, for example, back in 1990, right, the THC level, THC is the active ingredient in marijuana that gets you high. Mm-hmm. The THC level in 1990 was 3 to 5%. 
Now, with all these products out, it's up to 90%. What? And what I have seen, uh, and I talk about the book, it's 90%, you know, the edibles and the concentrated, you know, marijuana products and so forth. So if me and you right now, like, t- you know, we, we haven't, we don't smoke pot, right? But let's say me, I don't smoke pot. <clears throat> if I were to take a bite out of one of those gummies or a hit out of one of those things, I'd probably be in a hospital. That's how strong wow. this stuff is. In fact, in fact, right now, more hospitals across the country are getting people coming to their emergency rooms for marijuana incidences than any other drug. There's something known as cannabis-induced psychosis now, right? It's been That term has been around for a long time. I have never seen it in 25 years. In the last year or two, I've seen it probably about a half a dozen times. People in my office wow. that develop psychotic features, right? And it's happening with kids. And what parents need to know is that if your child your teenager has a psychotic, a, a cannabis-induced psychotic episode. If they have that happen to them once, and if they don't stop smoking marijuana and continue to smoke marijuana after that, they now have a 50% chance of developing permanent schizophrenia. So that is oh, what's wow. going on. And of course, you know, the fentanyl, I get it to that. You know, we have uh, 110,000 people died in 2022 from drug drug overdoses, mainly because of fentanyl pouring over the border. And now they're, and it's getting, and they're lacing it with, you know, lacing other drugs with fentanyl. And you can be smoking a joint and not even know it's in in there. So parents need to really be aware of that and have these conversations with your teenagers. Have a zero tolerance for it. Wow, they're mixing them together. And zero tolerance. I mean, that's what you say. You say we must adopt zero tolerance for all drugs. You have to fight this battle because you're seeing the lives that are destroyed. And then you talk in there about how, and this is something I remember hearing when I was growing up in school and the, you know, there was all the drug resistance, different types of programs that were within the school, but they always would say, no one starts with heroin. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's nobody that does heroin or cocaine that one day said, hey, let me try some heroin. No, they started smoking weed, drinking and so forth. That's the gateway component of it, you know, which mm-hmm. can lead to lead to other things, obviously. You know, and as a result, you know, we have a, a mindset, a collective consciousness in our society. I even see it with parents, like I'll deal with parents. They, they let their kids, they, they don't have a problem with their 15, 14, 15, 16 year old smoking marijuana. And you'd be surprised how many parents I've how many kids that have had in my office that have told me and they, these are kids that come from like really good families that have told me. That, yeah, their parents know they smoke marijuana, and sometimes they smoke mar- marijuana with their parents. Why? Why? <laughs> Why? Yeah, because the parents, you'd be surprised how many adults do it, right? And it is different. You know, I'll be honest with you, like if adults occasionally smoke marijuana, it's not going to have the same impact as it does on a developing young brain, you know, that yeah. doesn't fully develop until 25 years old. But, you know, because parents, think, you know, might smoke and it doesn't seem to have that much of an impact on them, they think it's all right. Well, you know, if my kid does a little bit of it. At least they're in the presence and they're with me and they're doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. You kind of set yourself up for a problem. Yeah. And it's interesting because you said you don't really know if you're prone to the addiction piece or not. Some people are more prone and some people are not. I thought it was a really interesting part of the book because obviously I read a lot and I read a lot of books that are about what's going on in our world and how do we help teenagers. And yours is the only one that has addressed substance abuse that I've read. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a major book. Yeah. Like I, you know, I have a, a section in that book, in, in that chapter and I and that, that I refer to as the lost boys, if right. you remember. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I give that example. And this is from experience. And I, I'm, in, I'm on the front front lines here, you know, as mm-hmm. a therapist. I can't tell you how many young men, particularly young men, you know, 19, 20, 21, even up, up to 25 years old, right, that are completely lost. That the parents will call me up, they come into my office, and I'll say, What, you know, so what, what are you doing? You go, now I got thrown out of college after my first semester. I don't do anything. I just sit, I sleep till two or three o'clock, and then I just play video games all day long, and I'm depressed. And guess what the common denominator is in every one of them? Marijuana, wow. smoking weed. And it becomes medicinal because when you talk to these, these guys, I had a kid in here, not a kid, he was like 21, 
who's depressed. I asked him what rate your happiness on a scale of one to 10. He said a three. And I'm like, do you think it's because of marijuana? He goes, no, no, not at all. Marijuana helps me. Right. And and I know that if this kid stopped smoking weed, that hit that number three would quickly rise and start approaching number 10. But, but you get caught in a cycle. It's like, all right, I wake up, you know, I feel like a, like a loser because I'm not doing anything. And that's how they feel. I don't want to use, you know, make, make anybody feel bad when I use that word, but this is just coming directly from them. And then when you, when you feel down or you feel like a failure, like you're not accomplishing anything, what do you do? You escape that feeling and you smoke weed. And it's just like a cycle and it's going on every day. Yeah. It just masks it. So then you never actually make any improvements to your life. Right. It becomes medicinal. You're self-medicating. And it's mm-hmm. like, all right, I feel like crap. I just saw smoke weed and I'll check out. And it's like rinse, repeat, dry. And it becomes like every day. And now that's why you see so many parents that have, you know, adult 25, 26, 30 year old men, you know, living in their childhood bedrooms, not doing anything. Right. So here's an interesting thing. You know, you write this book and you lay out basically some things that are not easy to implement, but simple to understand, simple to understand. Look, you got to be exercising. You got to be outdoors. You got to play. You got to interact with people. You have to leave your bedroom. And yet we have, I mean, this is an epidemic of mess here of anxiety and depression and oppositional defiance disorder and all of these different things. Why do you think it is that people are not making the changes that they need to make for themselves and for their families? Are you talking about the parents? Yeah, just in general. Like, I mean, obviously, people know. People know that anxiety is on the rise, and they know that the kids are on the screens eight to ten hours. I mean, I think most people are aware of a lot of the statistics, and yet we're still. We, I still feel like we're we've plummeted into this deep dark space. And you know, you lay out a book, you read your book, and it's like, okay, well, I got to get my kid outside, and we need to. We should be exercising. And I even saw there was a really cool idea in your book about getting exercise machines in the classroom. And yet it just doesn't seem like people are adopting. Here would be a question. So when you have people that come in individually to you, I would imagine that a lot of the advice that you're giving them is what's in your book. Do you feel that people actually take it and do it? Or is there resistance to it? Well, you know what it is? A lot of times people, you know, people, teenagers and the parents that I meet with will be like, all right, yeah, let's, let's do, we're going to do this. But Mm -hmm. I, I really still think the foundation behind all of these problems is big tech, is screen time, right? So we are, it's just never ending overload of information, right? And, and these things are in our pockets everywhere we go, every alert, you know, kids get these alerts that those alerts are meant, you know, for, to, to trigger you and, and to, to yeah. elicit a dopamine drip, right? So it's like, we're up against this powerful force, right? <clears throat> With all this information, all this accessibility and, you know, the idea of tampering that back and going and doing a lot of the things that we've always done historically as human beings. It almost seems that the, first of all, you have that the power of big tech that just is, you know, has such a big grip on everybody, including adults, that removing oneself from that and actually becoming a human being, going for walks, being outside, going for hikes, exercising, meditating, right? Almost seems like too boring, right? Yeah. Yet it's not, it's the furthest thing from boring when you actually leave the cyber world and, cu- and come into uh, to pl- back to planet Earth. You know, yeah. you really connect with the deeper part of yourself. And, you know, yeah. all, all of your achievements and everything that you're going to accomplish come from, from the inside out. And, you know, and it goes to show that human beings, you know, we are hunters and gatherers through evolution. We are supposed to be outside, supposed to be physical, supposed to be moving, supposed to be interacting. And um, we're going against that. So imagine if you took every other mammal. And I, and I give an example in the other book of like, I have a, actually in, in my lectures, I show an example. I have a lion in a cage, right? And I'll say to parents when I'm doing a lecture, I'll say, you see that lion in a cage? Let me tell you why I'm sharing that. That lion, if it was rescued as a cub and has been in that cage for a couple of years, 
cannot be released back into its natural habitat because it will die because it does not know its natural habitat. It will not know how to hunt and so forth and survive. And I give that example because our children are living on literally in an, on another planet, in a cyber world, right? They're not really here on planet Earth. And I guess it begs the question of when those when our kids transition into young adults, how are they going to be able to thrive, problem solve, and survive in the real world if they have never really lived there? Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside 50 and use code outside 50 to get 50% off. That's code outside 50 at factormeals.com slash outside 50 to get 50% off. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com outside120 code outside 120. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's huge. And you talk about it in your book that these kids are, they're trying to go back to college and they couldn't, and then they come home for a couple of weeks and they just feel so limited in what they're able to do, what their capacity is. And it's because they've sort of been, like you said, imprisoned in their bedrooms and they're not getting out and experiencing these different things. And that you say it takes a while, that these are skills. I guess maybe it seems boring and it seems almost too simple. Like we don't remember, I don't think back and think, okay, well, this is where I learned to talk to people. This is where I learned how to socially interact. So we've forgotten that it's the skill that you build. And it's like you talk about in the book in small amounts over time. And so I think the simplicity allows us sometimes to drop it and to leave it off because it seems like, oh, it doesn't really matter. Our kids are going to be fine, but they're not. They're not fine. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because here's another really important tip for parents listening, right? 
So another, if you have, it doesn't matter how old your kids are, middle school or high school. Um, I want parents listening right now to think about this. If you drive your child to school, right, five or 10 minute drive to school, what is your child doing in the passenger seat? You know the answer. It just popped into your head. They're on their phone. And this is going back a few years ago when I was working at the high school. I remember looking in the rear view mirror every day, you know, it was a very, you know, traffic going into the school. Every time I looked in the rear view mirror, if there was a kid in the passenger seat, head was down and they were on the phone. And what parents don't realize is that five or 10 minutes a day, if there wasn't a phone, you're communicating with your child. And it might not seem like all that much, but when you add up 180 days of school year times five or 10 minutes each way, that is probably the most important time to be present and part of their lives. And if they're on the phone, even in the car ride, they're, we're not, they're not there. They're somewhere else. Wow. Yeah. And even just our walk, walk to school, walk to school together, get up, exercise, get that fresh air and that sunlight in your eyes. It's really just this message that the simple things matter and they're very important. And we have lost them along the way. You talk about one other concept in the book about college and the ensuing debt and also the pressure to get into these top colleges. Can you talk about that just a little bit? So I think the most important thing that we need to look at is the cost of college. Okay. So private, you know, elite colleges are now around $80,000 a year. And what, what a lot of folks is if it's going on that people don't realize. So the federal government, I think it was in like 1978, they took over student loans. So, you know, it was no longer on, on, on the colleges anymore to deal with, uh, you know, getting paid. Right. So they have these, you know, student loans, parent plus loans and so forth. It doesn't matter if you have no, no way of proving how you're going to pay that back. Uh, you still get that loan from the federal government. And in many cases, people aren't paying it back because we have a $1.75 trillion student loan deficit. So you have kids coming out of colleges, right? Majoring in majors with it that oftentimes that don't even really have any kind of a job tied to it. And they come out and have 300 something thousand dollars in debt, right? And it just does not make any sense. And part of the reason why we do that, I'm self-conscious about the sticker on the back of our car. You know, God forbid it says such and such community college and doesn't say Dartmouth, right? And we think that's a reflection on us. I would call that person a wise person because you're sit, you're you have a smart kid. You're going to go to a state school. They're going to get some money, perhaps, and they're going to come out and they're going to be just as successful, most likely, as the person that was paying eighty thousand dollars a year, and they don't have all that debt that they're carrying around. So we got to really, you know, college has become an overinflated, way too expensive product that is being marketed to us, just like any other product. And I, I'm trying to get parents to understand, you know, in in the chapter, the importance. College is important. If that's what you want to do, but it's right now, if you're, if you know, if you're like really good at coding and all that stuff and really good at like computer science, a lot of kids are all the top tech companies, Amazon, Google, you don't even have to have a college degree. If you're good at that, they're hiring you. Right. Yeah. Things have changed. So I think it's important. I know um, there's a Dr. Madeline Levine. She talks about that. She says we're doubling down on our old ways and they know they no longer work. Our world has changed. So we have to adapt. Thomas, I know you see people in your practice all the time. What would you say to, in seeing sort of the end result of different lifestyle choices, what would you say to a parent who has infants right now? Well, what I would say, so I, I'm hoping now that the parent, you know, the younger parents mm -hmm. that have infants, you know, they're kind of looking from yeah. the outside in on all this stuff. And what I would encourage them to do is not, is to, is to stick to your rules like you have done, Jenny, with your family. You've gone rogue, right? You've made your family go out doing a thousand hours outside, right? That's the kind of stuff we need to do. We have to stop conforming to society standards and do what is in the best interest of our kids. And the most important thing for a child's development in every element, mentally, physically, emotionally, is the relationship that they have with their parents. 
period. And a relationship can't be a relationship if everybody's on a screen and nobody's communicating and doing yeah. their own thing. So for your younger parents, spend quality time with your kids, have conversations with them, teach them how to, you know, how to, uh, the importance of being outside, you know, getting fresh air, let them scrape their knees, let them get into a scuffle with another three-year-old. That's all, those are all yeah. important developmental milestones. And so then when they hit elementary school, so this is a change, right? Now there's maybe societal pressures, there's classmates. What advice would you give to someone for an elementary school student? You know, they're kindergarten now, they're headed, they got homework, all those different types of things. Maybe they hit third, fourth grade, there's pressure to get a phone. What would you tell those parents? Well, I would tell, you know, I would tell those parents, I know there's all these outside pressures, but at the end of the day, this is my family. It's not big tech's family. It's not the government's family. This is my family, right? And have those conversations with your kids. One thing I try to, what I did with my own kids when they were wanting this and wanting that, I would explain to them that what my goal is to raise a leader, not a follower. And if we're constantly just telling our kids, all right, we're going to get you this or get you that just because everybody else is doing it, then we're actually training training them how to follow mm-hmm. the crowd. And I, I'm a big believer in training our kids how to be leaders. And the leader is the one that is the one in the marathon that breaks free from mm-hmm. the pack not the one that stays with the pack. So, and it doesn't mean that your kid's not going to have any friends or any of that stuff. It just means that you're raising your kid how to do things the right way. And by the time they get through that, you know, those adolescent years, that those important leadership characteristics will be cemented within them. And then they're going to, their wings are going to spread and they're going to, you know, do some great things in the world. And then once they head to middle school and high school, all the answers are in your book, Raising Healthy Teenagers, Equipping Your Child to Navigate the Pitfalls and Dangers of Teen Life that actually, like I said, I loved reading, but so did my teen daughter who is 13 years old. So this is a good book to have laying around your home. She was very drawn to it. Of all of the books that I have, there's never been another book that any of our kids have come in and wanted to read, but she had grabbed yours and she kept reading it and flipping through And so it's a great one to have in your home because it's helping our teenagers to understand why they need to be out and about and out of their bedrooms and things like that. The answers are in there. So if people want to find the book, the book is available wherever books are sold. I highly recommend both of them, Raising Healthy Teenagers and Disconnected, both by Thomas Kirsting. And then your website is tomkirsting.com. People can find you there. I think one of the biggest takeaways that I got from it, Tom, was to think about At some point, our kids are going to be looking back on their own childhood, just like how you did. That's sort of how you started the book. You looked back on your own childhood and you said it was phenomenal. And it made me think, what type of childhood am I creating? And what will my kids say when they look back on their own? And, you know, do we think our kids will say the same thing that we said about our own? And I hope so. I I sure sure hope so. so. Now, one other thing, too, I mean, if anybody, I don't know if you get any listeners out in New, the New Jersey area. Uh, I'm sure you do. So I'm doing a book signing on March, Saturday, March 4th at 12 o'clock at a, at a bookstore. It's called Books and Greetings. And they have all, they have a lot of lot of people, a lot of famous people go there, right? Um, I'm not famous, but I you am from famous. the town of North You are famous. You are famous. You've been on TV. Not like that. But interestingly, the owner reached out to me because I'm in I'm the town. It's a small town in New Jersey with his bookstores and it's the town I grew up and I was telling him the other day I'm like where this bookstore is where I used to ride my bike on this property when I was a kid so yeah so anyway if if they want to come March 4th I'm going to be doing book signing each in person um, yeah yeah and people you have your private practice as well so also if people are local they can look into that if, if they're struggling and know that you've seen it all you've been doing this for 25 years you've seen the changes I think that people should be aware and following people like you 
who are not in a position to have seen the changes because then you know this is actually really different and it's really a big deal and it's not benign. I think that sometimes we think it's, well, it's no big deal. Maybe this is how kids have always been, but you've seen those changes and really seen the exact years, 2012. This is a big difference. So uh, the pandemic, this is a big difference. This is what I see coming out of it. So people can follow along. You're on Instagram as well and potentially other places. Real quick, can you tell us where you're at? Yeah, well, the Facebook, mm-hmm. you know, and I just use social media really just to promote, you know, to promote my message. Yeah. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, you know, I'm not that great with all that stuff, I guess. Yeah, but it's cool to see and it's inspiring. My website. Yeah, it's inspiring to see what you're out doing and your... Yeah, my website. Yeah, well, have a great from all of us, all the community, I think, would wish that you have a fantastic lunch with your wife and your daughter and really appreciate you coming on and taking this time to be with us. Thank you. And I appreciate everything that you do. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts.